I'm Andrew Blumenfeld. This is the Money in Politics podcast. A topic I return to a lot, both on this podcast and elsewhere, is the role that money plays in shaping the field of candidates itself. And of course, that's critically important because that will shape the universe of elected representatives that we all have. I think it's really important to understand how the current processes of becoming and staying a serious candidate can really have a disparate impact on different groups of people. I'm hopeful that with a better understanding of that, we'll be better armed when it comes to making the changes that we have to make in order to create a more level playing field so that candidates of all backgrounds and identities can reasonably pursue elected office. Money, of course, is a major piece of this equation. For today's conversation, though, I'm speaking with someone who's doing a lot more than just hoping for that particular outcome. Ryan Olson is the training and curriculum director for Emerge America. That's an organization I've talked about on this podcast before. In fact, I sat down with their interim president and senior advisor, Amanda Renteria, who herself has run for Congress and for governor. I definitely encourage you to check out that episode. But I wanted to return to them again today with Ryan because Ryan, as her title suggests, leads the organization's thinking on the training and curriculum that they offer to the women that they support. And that's what I'm really eager to drill down on today. I want to get specific about what they are doing when it comes to recruiting and training Democratic women candidates. What's working? What's the role of money? What still needs to be done? But first, briefly, here's Call Time AI. You're listening to Money in Politics, brought to you by Call Time AI. Campaigning is hard. Why not make fundraising easy? Using automation and artificial intelligence, Call Time AI lets you fundraise five times faster with easy-to-use tools like instant donor research, automated voicemail drop, and donor scoring, so that you are always calling the right person at the right time with the right ask. Go online to calltime.ai to schedule a demo and start your free trial today. I'm here with Ryan Olson. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, I would love if you could start by introducing yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you do for Emerge and also just any kind of background about what got you to the work that you're doing with Emerge today. For sure. My name is Ryan Olson. I am the training and curriculum director with Emerge America. So every day I am helping support our affiliates. We have state affiliates in 27 states right now, um, recruit, train, and provide a network of support around Democratic women who aspire to run for political office. Before coming into Emerge on kind of the national scale, I was the executive director of Emerge Massachusetts for three years. And before that, I have a history in political campaigns, a bit of advocacy, and also volunteering work in the progressive community. I learned from a pretty young age that government can either be an incredible force for good in people's lives or it can make people's lives even harder. So I knew it was important to not only have the opportunity to express my voice, but to open up doors and opportunities for others to be able to express their voices as well. And correct me if I'm wrong, but some of that learning, some of those lessons came from growing up in Wisconsin. Is that right? For sure. So, you know, a couple of things really quickly come to mind. When I was growing up, Wisconsin passed a constitutional amendment preventing civil unions and gay marriage, right, when two of my aunts are lesbians. So this obviously made it clear to me the importance of government in day-to-day life and 
allowing people to live as their fullest and best selves. How I saw government helpful and supportive is there was a period of my life when my family was on food stamps and the SNAP program. So if it weren't for those benefits and that social safety net, I might not be where I am today. So being able to see how impactful progressive policies can be and how detrimental it can be when those aren't enacted, that really spurred me to get involved in politics. I'm going to ask you a lot about the work that you do to recruit and train women around the country through your work in Emerge. But while we're talking about Wisconsin, I'd love if you would just start by sharing. I know as we record this, Wisconsin recently just went through a pretty, call it a roller coaster of (laughs) ups and downs when it came to their primary, which did eventually happen, much to a lot of people's dismay in person with kind of clawbacks on what had originally been expanded vote by mail. And so I'm just curious, because you're from Wisconsin, but also because I know there are Emerge candidates, great women candidates whose offices were up for election on Tuesday. Can you talk us through what that looked like, how they managed that process and how you supported and coached them through it? Yeah, I think they managed it as best they could. Obviously, our women are running. Usually when you're running for office, the goal is to win that elected office so you're able to create strong, positive change in your community. Now all of our candidates in Wisconsin and across the country are running with this dual charge of how can I best position myself to get elected, but also how can I be keeping my community safe and be a resource and force for good in my community right now? So a lot of the things that aren't the normal political tactics, events, going door to door, fundraisers in person are suddenly off the table for these candidates. Now, not only do the tactics change, but these big picture strategies also need to shift. Election dates are shifting or maybe not. Polling places are moving or just being closed entirely. So these things that we normally think of as the solids, right? We always say on campaigns, right? You can get more money, you can get more people, but you can't get more time. That truism with campaigns is shifting as states are delaying elections or even worse when they aren't. So what we had in Wisconsin is dozens of women who are running for office, county levels, at the city level, right, for school committee, who ran really strong campaigns. But at the end of the day, a lot of their voters were disenfranchised, right? Really made to choose whether to put their safety first or their voice first. So, you know, we still need to see what the elections are, but it's definitely a tough spot. For all of them. And what we have been doing from the national level is we offered a series, we're going to be doing it a couple more times, of webinars on campaigning during a crisis. So this is going through five key pieces of campaigns, the campaign plan, messaging, fundraising, field, and digital, and talking about how all of these things are shifting given our current environment. That's really obviously especially valuable right now. So that's tremendous. And I'm glad people are hearing about that here too, in case they weren't already aware of that as a resource. And I want to now go further back from the point of election date, way back to before someone even decides to be a candidate. And I'm just curious about your experience working with women who are even contemplating running for office, or maybe even those who haven't yet begun that contemplation. Can you talk us through what the recruitment process is like, and maybe even more from the lens of the from those that you are trying to recruit, what are the anxieties or or skepticisms or questions or exciting things that are most enticing? What's kind of the feedback you typically get as you try and make the pitch to someone that they should consider themselves a candidate for office? Yeah, it totally runs the gamut. There are folks, more and more women and young women, who are seeing elected office as something that's a potential for them. They always kind of see it as something that they wanted to be. And I love seeing that sort of ambition and drive in folks. 
There are others at the complete end of the spectrum who have been politically involved, politically engaged, but time and time again will say stuff like, oh, I'm more of a behind-the-scenes person and don't necessarily want to take that step towards running for office and being directly in the public eye. When folks talk about their concerns, right, that also runs a gamut from personal concerns, right? How are they going to fit this in their life with other responsibilities they have, be it caretaking, their work, even their social lives, right? Like running for office can really decimate that to kind of the political piece, right? Am I qualified? Am I ready? I don't have my master's degree in education. Should I be serving on school board? So a lot of what we're doing is trying to dispel the myths of what's quote unquote required to be in elected office and helping women find the true stories and motivations that encourage them to get involved in the first place and helping them realize that those experiences, their lived experiences, are the things that uniquely qualify them to serve in elected office. Because a lot of times those voices and those stories aren't being heard in the school boards and the city councils in our state houses. And specifically with fundraising, do you have a sense Obviously, as you pointed out, there's great diversity here. So I imagine this too runs the gamut. But is there are there any trends when it comes to the trepidations you get about the fundraising aspect of it? Or does the fundraising aspect play a part in people's questions about whether or not this is something that's right for them? Certainly. Again, runs the gamut. We have some of our alumni who are really great fundraisers and really comfortable. But in general, right, if it's something that's newer to you, And a lot of times we are trying to encourage women to run who are not necessarily a part of the political establishment. Asking people for money to help you run your campaign is a new and awkward thing, especially when a lot of our women were brought up being told to be self-sufficient, independent, not needing to ask for money. So I think part of what we do and talk about and what I really encourage any women who are listening to this right now to think about instead of asking money for yourself, think about it as asking for an investment in your community. Because you aren't using this money to go on vacation for yourself. You're using these funds in order to run a strong campaign so then you can make your community stronger, better, and more equitable. So that's one piece, right? This trepidation around asking for money. I also want to say like, there's structural issues at play here too. Women still make less than men on the dollar, and this gets even worse for women of color. So this means not only do they have less money to contribute to their campaigns, but also their networks of who they might be asking for money also may have less resources to contribute to campaigns as well. There's also this kind of question about, and we saw it a lot in the presidential election, about viability or electability. So it's even tougher sometimes for women who do not still fit the standard of what a quote-unquote politician looks like to gain the viability Mm -hmm. of donors, stakeholders, you know, kind of the leaders who serve as financial gatekeepers for a lot of the candidates, right? So they have to face those internal questions they have about their competency and getting over the discomfort of asking for money, but then they have to face these structural challenges in addition. But what we found, fortunately, is generally our women do end up raising as much as their male counterparts. They do end up winning strong campaigns. And that is because they are running as their authentic selves and are able to make a strong case for why they are the best person to sit in that seat. So let's talk about what it is that you do in your role and Emerge does and what others who could adopt sort of similar approaches or curriculum or even just people listening to this who are considering being candidates or considering working for candidates. What are the things that get someone from the point of questioning whether or not this is for me, having all of those discussions about seeing themselves in the position, understanding that their experiences do qualify them and all those wonderful things you talked about on the recruitment side to the part you 
you just mentioned about the end, which is they do run really strong campaigns. They do raise sufficient resources to run really viable campaigns. That space in between, what's the kind of coaching? What's the kind of curriculum? What's the kind of experience that you hope to create for the women that you serve so that they can get from point A to point B? Thank you. So a lot of it's training, like Emerge Recruits, Emerge Trains, and we provide a network of support. And we train because these are not skills that we necessarily get in any other period of time in our lives. So we do offer a intensive 70-hour training program. That's our signature training program that usually lasts about six months. And we also offer a two-and-a-half-day boot camp training program specifically for active candidates. But mm. How we talk about these, right, is first helping women get over this fear of asking, helping them realize that money is a necessary part of their campaign, although, you know, we may wish we lived in a world where campaigns were sure. funded differently or money yeah. and politics played a different role, helping them understand the world where are in now and the importance of fundraising for their campaign. Also helping to take the mind shift away around asking for something as a favor as opposed to giving folks an opportunity to have their voice heard and participate in democracy in a way that they may not have been invited to before. And that is by contributing, even if it's at a small amount. And to be right. honest, a lot of it is practice. Giving the time to practice writing what their fundraising script looks like, giving feedback on that script. Then in almost all of our trainings, we give them a time to actually hop on the phone and call through some of their friends, some of their neighbors, some of their relatives, and ask for money while they're in that training space together so they can get coaching and support while doing it, and also a bit of accountability while doing it. It gives them the excuse to say, hey, I'm at this training, and they're making me call and raise money for my campaign. Right. Can I count on you to give $50? But what we found, we train them, we give them tools, we send them to a call time, and then we have them come back, and we have them all report out how many people said yes. And we all clap for people really, really loud. And yeah. we ask who is able to raise at least $1. And we all clap really, really loud. And it really shows how impactful that direct ask can be. And also helps the women recognize how capable their fundraising skills are when they may have walked into the room that day with zero experience fundraising. From what you're talking about, the network element of it and the, even just the camaraderie element of it seems pretty important. Have you found that that piece of it really helps move the needle? It's huge. I think when we talk about Emerge, people are like, oh, recruitment, I understand that. Training, okay, I understand that. And then when we talk about the Emerge Sisterhood, I think that's when people tend to be a bit more confused about what that means. <laughs> and really, I think it is one of the most important things we do as an organization and something that really sets Emerge apart. Because imagine you're in this room with about 20 other women who are all thinking about running for office. That is already a subset of a subset of a subset of the population, right? It is sure. very rare that you have, or even with our boot camps, where you have 20 active female candidates in a room together who are all Democrats, right? Like that is a unique cohort. Mm -hmm. And then we work to develop this cohort really intentionally. So we're able to have them learn from each other, how one campaign is doing something might trigger a tactic to be done in another campaign. Then being able to share the stories of their experiences. And also, not that they're all the same, but the fact that they all are different too. We really strive for a diversity in our class, be that through race, ethnicity, age, geography. So we have women from more urban cities learning how to do campaigning in rural areas and vice versa, right? We have women learning from each other's experiences. And what this translates to is a really deep bond within the cohort, which then translates to political power outside the cohort. So what we'll find, right, is when Emerge Women run for office, the first people they tell are their Emerge sisters. 
And those are their first contributions, their first mm. phone bank captains, their first canvassers. We've had Emerge Women be campaign managers for their Emerge sisters as well. And mm. now we're getting to the point where we have over 700 women elected across the country, right? So wow. this builds this national Emerge network that is then reflected in each state and then reflected in each class. So really starting to continuing to use our 4,000 alumna to help make the network stronger and greater. That's fantastic. Thank you. And from the perspective of spending, is that a piece of the puzzle that raises questions or concerns or anxieties at the outset? Is that a piece of the puzzle that you include as part of the training curriculum? Just that the, the fundraising is is sort of in a lot of ways, the most obvious thing that I could imagine causing any candidate, especially a first time candidate, a lot of unease. But, but what about the spending piece? The kind of the budgeting piece? Yeah, the decisions around, okay, well, once you've raised this money, how do you steward it responsibly? Is that not much of a, a factor? Or does that also weigh into how you coach and train? It totally weighs into how we coach and train. So how our curriculum is developed, we end up talking about budget before fundraising. So we're going through, we're talking about how do you win your campaign and what are all the things you want to do? You want to run a strong field plan. You want to do ads on social media. You want to make sure you have a website. You want to make sure you have an email account. You want to make sure you're doing direct mail. And to anyone listening, I'm not prescribing this and saying you should necessarily do all these things for your campaign. Each campaign is wildly different. Sure. But we help them think through the tactics that they want to implement in order to run a winning campaign. It's then we talk about the budget. Okay, if you want to do all these things, how much does that all cost? And from the budget, then we talk about fundraising. It's not just fundraising for the sake of raising money. It's not fundraising divorced from your campaign plan. You are fundraising so you can do all the things that you want to do in order to win your campaign. So I think the budget piece is a really necessary component, right? Otherwise, you're just raising for the sake of raising money, not to raise money so you can raise your budget, so you can pay your staff, so you can talk to X amount of voters, so you can win elected office, so you can implement these positive changes you want to implement. Yeah, I imagine that that makes it an easier sell when you're trying to get to that mind shift you referenced earlier in the conversation about how this is not just a vanity or some game. And I'm not just asking for you to feed that game or feed that vanity. This is a real opportunity for you to participate in this cause and this movement that I'm building my campaign around. And if you've articulated already internally how those dollars translate very practically to being able to do that, I'm sure that makes it easier to have that frame of mind when you're making asks. For sure. It allows our candidates to be able to say very honestly, right? They know their budget. So like, I need to raise $200 more by Friday in order to get the yard signs out by this weekend, which not only makes it a more compelling ask to donors, but also creates a level of comfort of the ask and why they're asking and why it matters. Right. So a lot of what we've talked about, I think it's in some ways been sort of obvious and in some ways you've called it out along the way. But I wonder, taking a step back from the entire approach to how Emerge thinks about its role in democratic politics and the political landscape more generally, how has the approach been purposefully different when thinking about the target audience here? which is women running for office. So in other words, what do you purposefully do differently because you're trying to accomplish something that up until recently and still we're far from it has been a major, major gap in our politics, which is this, this gender gap? 
So part of the reason, right, we train self-identified women, we train democratic women, that allows us to really tailor our curriculum to that audience. So we're in a room together, we're able to talk about, okay, if you're knocking on doors, what sort of shoes should you wear? Because unfortunately, people might judge women for that in a way that they would not judge their male counterparts. When you're going to talk to the press and you're going to be in a video interview, what sort of makeup should be an option there? So there's kind of the small tactical questions, which unfortunately the BS things that we still need to talk about because patriarchy still exists, right? Right. (laughs) I also think something that we've been doing to grow and develop our organization from the beginning, and it is every year just an even greater and greater focus, is make sure that when we're talking about democratic self-identified women, we're talking about all the variations within that. So being really intentional about recruiting women of color in a way that reflects the democratic party of that state, being really intentional about recruiting LGBTQ women, including our trans sisters into the program to make sure that they are also set up for success, thinking about how we can be building political power by recruiting women in seats that might be a bit red or purplish now, but if we get great women at the school committee, city council, maybe we can see that shift. And what this means is that we're building these cohorts that are reflective of the Democratic Party, and then we're able to have those be learning environments in and of itself. Once we have enough women of color in a room, and once we have women of color in the room, they can have a conversation about what's it like to run not only as a Democratic woman, but as a woman of color on top of that. What is it like to run as someone who doesn't necessarily come from a law or politics background, but something entirely different? So it's one part recruiting, right? Making sure we have the rooms that reflect that experience. It's one part kind of that network that we have. So with 4,000 alumna, we really have a huge swath of what Democratic women look like, sound like, where they come from, et cetera, that leaned into and help inform. And also when it comes to our curriculum, everything is tailored with that peace in mind. And I also think there's something too about being really a truly state-based organization. My role is to help support and uplift the state executive directors on the ground. No one knows better what's going on in Wisconsin than the executive director of Emerge Wisconsin, right? So I'm helping to uplift and support her work. Um, And running for office in Wisconsin is different than running for office in Washington or different than running for office in Alabama or different from running for office in Maine. So having that local experience who can also provide a filter, not necessarily a filter, but a lens to the work that we're doing is really vitally important and does set us apart from other organizations that do this work. And so that's the wonderful work that the organization is doing. And I wonder what your thoughts are about what other kinds of changes are going to have to happen beyond the organizations, beyond the candidates mm. themselves, even just sort of structurally as a society, as a country, what are the kinds of changes that you think are going to have to happen in order for us to have a truly equitable playing field for candidates of all backgrounds to run viable campaigns, to enter into the fray without having doubts about their fundraising prowess always there? I mean, what are the things that are going to have to change just even beyond the organization's work that you think that we should all be thinking about how we can help make that change in order for that more equitable landscape to manifest? For sure. And I don't mean to be flipped here, but a lot of it is disassembling the white supremacist heteronormative patriarchy, right? Like there are a lot of big (laughs) structural issues that have caused our society to form the way it is right now. But I do think, like you said, it is individual people 
either doing the self-reflection, right, to kind of understand, hey, why is it do I think this female candidate sounds shrill while this male candidate mm-hmm. sounds commanding, right? Doing that internal yeah. reflection and that t- internal work, which, again, also applies to race as well, right? Like, why is it that I think this black woman sounds angry while this white woman sounds concerned, right? Like, really doing that introspective work as individuals, I yeah. think, is really key. What I think is also helping, too, is as we do have these incredible candidates who are facing going up against these structures and winning, they are able to set examples of what new sorts of leadership look like. For years and years and years, when you said politician, it was a old, white, straight man. But now we're seeing this incredible crop of leaders who are women of color, queer women, queer men, men of color, right? Really starting to shift what leadership looks like and able to show how to lead, not just falling into that old script, right, but creating entirely new scripts for leadership. And it is one of those really common sayings, it's really hard to be it if you can't see it. We are seeing more and more examples of what the leadership could look like, which is shifting not only the mindsets of the general public, but also creating pathways for other young women to see themselves in those leadership positions because they do have role models there. Yeah, I think those are kind of the two major things. It's the internal work and it's seeing good role models. And it's the bravery, right, to imagine a future that is different than the one that we have right now. Yeah, I think that's I think that's great. Last sort of topic here with the focus now on donors. There certainly do seem to be a proliferation of individual donors as well as PACs and organizations that are specifically interested in seeing everything from the great work that Emerge does continue and expand and also individual candidates break the mold, be those pathmakers and putting dollars behind more women candidates explicitly as their goal. So I'm curious about a couple of things around that topic. One is just what your sense is of the new dollars that are targeted specifically towards expanding representation of women in the candidate field as well as an elected office. And also, if that at all changes the way that you coach and train and recruit the women that you support. Yeah, really good question. So I think in some ways it helps seeing more and more people get excited by women candidates and willing to fund them and see organizations like Emerge and be willing to fund our work is wonderful and great. Kudos to everyone who's doing that. And at the same time, I think candidates always kind of expect there's like the secret list of donors. That if they just got the secret list of donors and called through these donors, their campaign would be set. And that list right. doesn't really exist. What we always encourage our candidates do to do is start with the folks who it's called like love money, folks who are willing to give to the candidates because they love and support the candidate. Now, if this happens to be a donor who loves and supports the candidates because they want to see more young women of color in office, great. But by and large, this is family, friends, neighbors, acquaintances, folks that they've had relationships with for years, if not decades. Then we're talking to folks who have the same similar vision for us in office. And then we're talking to folks who are kind of the institutional donors, the gatekeeper donors, the folks who are have the capacity to put real money. Not that smaller donors aren't real money. I take that back a teeny bit. But the larger donors who are willing to invest tons of money into kind of creating this new wave of female woman leadership. 
So yeah, I think it's really helpful that donors are more excited about the work that we're doing, right? I think years ago would have been really tough for a woman to say in a donor pitch, right? Hey, this city council is all men. I'd be running to be the first woman on the city council and that go over well in a way that messaging is working better and better now as more and more folks are understanding the importance of having diverse voices in office. However, I would not say that is the answer or the solution. And I would caution any candidate who is running for office right now to think that will automatically help bolster their campaign, right? It's still going to be a lot of work. It's still going to be a lot of call time. It's still going to take a lot of effort to research your own lists and make asks through your own folks. And to just follow up on that, because it's something I hear and we hear a lot of is there's also a logic, right, in pursuing first that love money and then trying to branch out to this kind of more remote but potentially larger in size contribution network. Because, again, correct me if I'm wrong, this is certainly something I, I talk to candidates a lot about. So it would be great to get your perspective on if I'm hitting it, the mark right here. That universe, in part, is looking to see, did you first and foremost sort of excavate your own network? Do the people closest to you give you the stamp of approval who know you best in the form of a $5 contribution, a $100 contribution? So it's not just that, you know, you should start with love money because it's closest. I always tell people you should start with love money because... It's prerequisite for future money. Am I telling people the right thing here? (laughs) I think you are, yes. Okay. (laughs) For sure. There is something, right, even though there are some measures of electability and viability that play into some of the more harmful impulses of our democracy right now, there is still a question to be asked, like, are you prepared to win this election? Which is a fair question to ask. And one of the ways that you do show you're prepared to win this election is by raising money from your own folks, is by showing that you do have a pathway to win this campaign with or without that donor's help. And hopefully that donor helps you. But it is showing that, yep, I have my plan. I've been asking my people. I have these fundraising skills. And like you said, those closest to me have already invested in my campaign. Why don't you invest as well? Great. Well, I'm going to let you go. But before I do, I'd actually love if you wouldn't just remind folks who are listening, if they're curious to learn more about the work that Emerge does, if they're curious about the resources that Emerge is pulling together, both for our current kind of crisis that everyone's working through, but also just more generally, can you just let people know, remind them where they can go to get more information? For sure. You can find us at EmergeAmerica.org. And from there, you can go check out the website of our 27 affiliates, right, to see if there is an Emerge in your state. We are offering the signature trainings and the boot camps in different states as we speak right now. So there's lots of options to get involved. Also, we have opened up our Campaigning Through Crisis webinar series open to any Democratic self-identified woman, not just to our alumna. We did a series in March. We'll be doing another one in April and another one in May. And you can also find information for that on our website as well. Thanks so much for all you do. Thanks for joining us for this conversation this morning. Really appreciate you taking the time. As I said at the outset, this is a topic we will keep returning to. Let us know who else we should be talking to or send any other thoughts our way. You can email us at hello at calltime.ai. And don't forget to subscribe to Money and Politics wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts.